You stand with me? Go ahead. We about to jump right in this thing. Tell somebody, say, we build people at Catalyst. We build people, like it or not. Here we come. Man, it's so good to see y'all online. We welcome you. Uh, y'all ready? Y'all ready? Tell your neighbors, say, ready or not. Oh, yeah, I want to take you uh, to 2 Corinthians 1. Before I do, I want us to say this together. Say, I'm ready to open God's word and be opened by God's word. Let it do what it's going to do. In Jesus' name, I just ask you to do that right now. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, the apostle Paul says this. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia, we were under great pressure. It was a very intense, traumatic season. It was tra very traumatic. He says, far beyond our ability to endure. If you have ever been taught that God will not put on you more than you can bear, you have been lied to. It's not in the Bible anywhere. And Paul actually says quite the opposite. He said that God put on us more than we could bear. So that we despaired of life itself, didn't want to live anymore. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. Scholars uh, agree, most scholars agree that this is suicidal language in his time. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. So Paul is confessing here, not awkwardly, openly, to a church for everybody to read for the last 2,000 years. He said, I went through a season so traumatic, so intense. I was depressed. I wanted to die. I didn't want to live anymore, nor did I think I would get through it. But that season, that depression had its place. It had its purpose in my process, in my growth, in my faith. It made me realize that live or die, hell or high water, diagnosis, bank account or not, that I can rely on somebody that raises the dead. And so... You and we have all struggled with depression. Some of you right now, it is heavy on you. It, or if it's not today, you know you're so up and down, it will be tomorrow. You've been through some things. You've gone through some things. You have scars. You have effects. If you've lived long enough, you've got the carryover, whether it's clinical diagnosis or not, or whether you know you're diagnosed and just ain't been to the doctor because you don't want to know the truth. I get it. To be honest with you, if you've been here long enough, I got it. But depression doesn't define me. Depression doesn't define me. I am, that's what I'm going to talk about week three. I want to hit you deep. I want to fill your tank and encourage you because uh, de depression doesn't define you, but it can develop you. Depression doesn't make you weak. It doesn't make you broke or broken, less inferior. It doesn't make you any of the things that our culture and our church culture tries to put on you. It set me free as a pastor that I am not a weaker leader because I get down and have seasons of despair. I'm stronger because I'm honest and I'm more open to God than ever before. Depression can add to your life. It, can, it is not something to be afraid of, to be ashamed of. It is not a life sentence, nor is it a terminal illness. So, Lord, right now, will you just lift your hands with me? Lord, I ask you to just fill our tanks. Lord, I just want to encourage. You just want to encourage, Lord. Let your love be thick and heavy in this place. And, Lord, let us lean into it in this moment. Let us not put walls up. Let us bring it down. Not because of the person next to us or the situation we have when we go home today, but because you are the God who raises the dead. Let us feel that and receive that today in Jesus' name. Amen. Can we give him some praise right now? As you're seated, tell somebody, say, it ain't nothing but a thing. It ain't nothing. My daddy used to say that all the time. He said, ain't nothing but a thing. So yeah, whoever said, I, I think that was Chris Carter Jr., I love you too, dude, you were the man, you're going to be singing up here, I've been telling you for two years, uh, he, he just said, I'm never saying anything to him again, 
I'm never, ever again. Oh, man. We've made depressions. We, we need to normalize depression. Here's the thing. We need to normalize it. It's very, very common. In the Bible, there are a lot of people who had great seasons. I don't have time to preach on all of them. Matter of fact, I'm only preaching on one of them, but I'll give you just a few more right here other than the Apostle Paul. Uh, David had recorded throughout the Bible he battled with great despair, great seasons of despair and trauma. Uh, Moses, uh, Moses and Jonah were overwhelmed because of other people. Jonah, it was because of his enemies. Moses, it was because of the people at his table, his family and friends, his people. And he battled with it. Jonah battled with bitterness. Job was traumatized by tragedy. And you got 40 plus chapters of a soap opera and a manic dude because of how much hell he was going through. It's depression. Jeremiah, uh, Jeremiah wrestled with loneliness and defeat. Wrestled deeply with it. He is nicknamed the weeping prophet. He taught, wrote a book, I talked about it last week, I had some scripture from it, Lamentations, which is a lament. Even Jesus, even Jesus, the Bible said he was a man of sorrows, acquainted and familiar with grief, with struggle. A lot of the things we think disqualify us are the very things that Jesus dealt with and fought through. And he is who he is because he did it honestly and powerfully. And the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives inside of me and you if we want it to rule. And so we need to be honest about this thing. We need to quit making it something it's not. And we do it as much in the church as the world. I hate it that we act like the world's the enemy, because a lot of times, us people that have loved Jesus a long time, we are our own enemies, biggest enemies. So I want to talk about three, I, I want to tell you, I want to really focus on three things today, okay? Three things, they're, they're, they're single words, they're really things that every one of us, including me, we struggle with at least one of them, at least one of them. Resting, rising up, and moving forward. Say that with me. Say rest, rise up, move forward. Let's say that again. Say rest, rise up, move forward. I want to focus on Elijah today and his bout with depression. I want to take you to 1 Kings 19. You won't see it in your bulletin because I'm going to talk through it. I'm not going to read it. I encourage you to go read it and study it later. I hope you will dig deep in it because the word works if you work it and we work at Catalyst. And so by all means, go and confirm that I ain't making this stuff up that it's in there. 1 Kings 19, Elijah is coming off his greatest win in ministry, in his prophetic ministry. Nothing has been done like it since. He called fire down from heaven. It is a fireworks show like never before seen and never since. Great win. The prophets of Baal were humiliated. Word gets back. Uh, to Queen Jezebel, and she's angry. She's embarrassed. Queen Jezebel is an alpha female, and she don't like it that she got showed up. She puts a bounty out on Elijah's head. She wants him dead. And Elijah goes from the mountaintop to splatting on the bottom of the ground. And Elijah begins to run for his life. He begins to run, just like we do in seasons where we're just running, just surviving all the time. He even, when you look at the scripture, he runs and the Bible says he drops off his servant and he just keeps running. You've been through season, we do it all the time. We go in default, we go in survival mode. We're just, we're running, we're dodging, we're reacting, we're reeling. We take it as it comes and we act like that's a good thing. But in seasons where you're just taking it as you come, you just like life, is, you get tired. And so Elijah is just in reaction mode. He is just in depression mode. I'm telling you, when you get in those reaction seasons and you're running, just let you know whether you're doing good or not, whether the church is growing or not, if I'm running too fast, depression's coming. And so Elijah is in default mode. And he lays down next to a tree. And he begins to say, curse the day I was born. He begins to, which is... And that time and season is language, suicidal language, hopeless language. I want to die, is what he says. I want to be done. 
I'm tired of this. I'm not doing anything that matters. Nobody around me, I'm not affecting you. work so hard for your family and you see that you don't feel like you're gaining any ground. You've worked so hard on your marriage and you feel like you've taken two inches in two years and you were tired and he's like, I'm done. Curse the day I was born. Curse all the ministry I've done. He was tired. And an angel comes and feeds him and he goes to sleep and he rests by this tree. And he wakes up again, and God feeds him again, and he lays down and sleeps and rests again. Because God understood that Elijah needed to rest. He didn't need to rebound. He didn't need to rebuild. He he needed to catch his breath. He needed to recharge. He needed to regather himself. And a lot of times we're running. I'm talking to somebody right now. You are insane. I'm talking to a lot of people. I'm talking to me. I'm day to day with this stuff, man. He, what happens is, is you've been in seasons. You've been in a lot of consistent seasons where you've been through and gone through. And you're constantly, for seasons or your entire life, you've had to fight through and get through and survive. And you've made it. And you feel, and you've gotten it. And you've just had seasons where you're constantly, whether you're a mental wreck, emotional wreck, whether everybody around you is a wreck, you're just like, it's constant setbacks. It's constant struggle. It, there, nothing's working out. Disappointments are coming in place, even if you got great kids and a great marriage, you don't see it you're blinded to it, and I'm telling you, when you are in that place you need to slow down you need to step back, you need to take a breath I'm talking to me because this is the one I told you I struggle with all of us struggle with one of these this is mine I do not stop I do not shut down. You ever, get a, you ever get across me, you'll know I don't shut down, I don't shut up. Trust me, when I've shut Angie down, I lose, but not that night. Elijah, God knew he needed to rest. And the reason he was able to feed him is because he began to just lay down under that tree for a minute. And take a break, take a break, take a breather. You've been running and reeling and you're trying your best to recover. You're trying to recover and find some clarity. You're trying so hard, but the thing is you're still reacting. And you need to slow down. You don't need to make many decisions right now. You don't need to make many moves right now. Some of you, you may be a lot like me, you need, you're, but you're, you're in a season, man, you don't need to make any. You don't need to make any major decisions, any major moves in your life. You need to sit down. You need to breathe. You need to take a breath. You need to take a step back. You are not clear. You need to recognize that you are not clear. You are tired. You are tired. Your feelings are valid. They're real. But they are not reality. And you need to understand that. There are moments where I'm so stressed out. I'm so tired. And I can see it. Because I can do church all day. The older I get, I know what I want this to be. I know what it needs to be. And I know it's not it yet. Because that's the point. But I still get lost in stress. And I'm still learning. Right now, however you feel, it's not reality. Even though it feels like it is. And I'm still learning to stop. 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 There's nothing you can do on social media popping off that can make things better. There is nothing you can do. You are exhausted. Dr. West talked to me and Angie a few months ago. I I talk about him a lot. He's gotten us through seasons of growth, through seasons of struggle in ministry. Thank God for him. He said, Angie, you are tired. And he said, you do not need to plummet the depths of your soul tired because there is no clarity there. When, when, people are, when people start plummeting and looking at their life and their full strength, you'll realize you're actually doing pretty good and you'll make good decisions. But you don't even know how to make a good decision right now because you ain't made one in a while because you won't stop. And we need to rest. Can you say that with me? Say rest. Say rest. Working harder is not the answer right now. It's the problem. And you're like, working harder isn't the answer. You need to stop working two and three jobs. You stop now. I don't care what your bank account looks like. Your life and your mental health matters more. 
God will make a way if you'll make a move and by making no move. <laughs> you do not need to get in another relationship. You've had three heartbreaks back to back the last 10 years now. Three heartbreaking breakups. You need to be single for a reason this season and sit down and be single and enjoy and embrace the loneliness. Because being lonely is a lot better than eventually having a bad relationship work out for the long term and you'll hate it for the rest of your life. You need to sit. You need to rest. You need to breathe. You need to rest. Say, say that when we say rest. The thing about depression is depression a lot of times isn't a bad thing. We do. We think depression is the enemy. But depression is oftentimes a signal and a sign from your body that something in your life is not working and needs to change. You need to learn to listen to your body and mind. I'm still learning this. Day. When I, as soon as I figure it out, my season changes. I have to figure it out again. That's how God does He keeps us on our toes. I'm like, I got this. And God's like, psych. Your body gets a fever when it's what? It's fighting something. That's what depression is. Pancreatitis, as I understand it medically, is rarely something that you get as a lone disease. Pancreatitis hurts like a mug, but it's just a sign that they need to find something in you. That's, I've seen people diagnosed with major diseases. The pancreatitis is the only reason they found it. You need to listen to your mind. You need to listen to your body. When you are tired, it is a sign not to keep going. It is a sign to slow down. I'm talking to Ben on this point, I promise you. In 2002 was my junior year in high school. Yes, I just told on myself my age. I'm not ashamed of my age, so I don't care. This hair is turning loose, so you can't hide it for much longer anyway. And I don't do hats because my head swells. Real bad, I ruin hats. 2002, I had gotten diagnosed with Tourette's and started taking heavy medication in the sixth grade. My tics were as bad as they can be some days now. In some seasons now, they were significantly worse from sixth grade to in, 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 part, in many parts of high school. So those were the dinosaur years of Tourette's and Asperger's and Spectrum and OCD and ADD and all the other things that I can't even remember what I've been diagnosed with. But, you know, 2002, things caught up with me because they just tried to sedate me and slow down my tics with a lot of medication. I started my junior in high school. I have never dealt with anything since this intense incident. I'm not afraid to talk about it because it's what it is. I started hearing things. I started hearing voices. I remember being in graphic arts class. I remember being in graphic arts class and hearing a voice is telling me that my mother and daddy are dead and I'm going to be too. I started having more anxiety to this day. I've diagnosed anxiety disorder. You don't go through what I've been through without having some trauma and anxiety and effects of it. I remember sitting in class and just like I was a mess and I'm so thankful that my mama and my daddy were clear enough at that point that they removed me from school for two weeks. I went to Ridgeview outpatient. Dr. Gandhi, you know, there's just that was years that Atlanta, a lot of times they're just a little bit more ahead in stuff like this and studies and that he realized there's a lot of medicines I wasn't taking and, and, and some I was taking way too many of. He, he kind of reevaluated my meds and, and honestly, and, and gave me a whole new recipe for my ticks and added Zoloft and Prozac for depression. For the next 15 years, I've never to this day had a season as much as those 15 years from my junior year until I got married and ate your thought eggs when we were in a mess when we got married. <laughs> uh, trust me, I put on 55 pounds because of happiness, not medicine when I got married. I still have to fight that pantry. <laughs> I do. I do. This dad bod. I've had this. I had a, a great granddaddy bod ten years ago. <laughs> this is my six pack right here. Growth hashtag. Pound sign. However old you are. <laughs> they removed me. I went to Ridgeview. He put me on this for 15, 15 years. Those seasons. Those fifteen years that my my Tourette's was almost non-existent. My best year of school, K through 12, was undoubtedly my junior year of high school. It was, it was turning into a nightmare. I, I, my most memorable year was my junior year. The next year, I, the next year, my senior year, I got most unforgettable because I just came out 
out of my shell. And I began to discover the person that you got to deal with if you come here every weekend. It doesn't happen if my parents don't realize, I don't know what's wrong with my son, but I'm going to remove him. And for two weeks, I got clarity that lasted me 15 years. And to this day, I understood a principle that I learned by letting my parents realize we don't care about his grades, we care about him. In 2017, we start Catalyst. Man, you know, any church plant's hard, but we grew like crazy. First year, we were over in this building, this facility, a year and a half. Those three years, I can tell you, I was absolutely unhealthy. It's awesome when you pack a house and you feel like you're doing something and you're worth it. I was absolutely overworking to the point that my wife was crying tears. What's wrong? I'm concerned with you. My back, I was consistently getting injections starting in that season in my back. It wasn't just because of Tourette's. It was because I was overdoing it. I began to, by 2019, Thanksgiving, I, pre, I was for three weeks, for three months, I didn't stop, didn't miss a beat, and something was going on in my bladder. And in between meetings, and I would tell some people that I trusted then, uh, I would say, if I run off the stage, I'm going to need you to hold, like, go, I need you to just ad-lib for about five minutes. I used to grab the wall in the, in the office building, and I would, squ- I mean, I would push so hard for 10 minutes, and then have to pee 10 minutes later. And I just kept going and kept going, and by the week before Thanksgiving, I'm telling you, I understand the need to feel like you got to hold everything together. And, and I, I, I remember getting up and saying, I'm just going to face plan today if this isn't you, Jesus. And finally, I started peeing blood and Angie goes get in the car we're going to the we're going to the ER but before Thanksgiving I found out I had an inch tumor blocking my ureter my bladder it was cancer here's the thing about that people my age don't get bladder cancer I've done the DNA testing I do not have any predispositions to cancer they only know of two things that cause cancer and I don't do either of them I do not smoke and I do not drink alcohol the only two things Stress will kill you. Overdoing it when you need to rest will kill you. It will destroy you. And it will kill everything that God wants to give you long before it takes you out. And I was doing ministry that way. And it hurts to shift. But you Gotta rest. Say that with me. Say rest. I love how King, in Psalm 23, King David says, God makes me lie down in green pastures. He cuts your legs out from under you because he loves you too much to let you build a great success but go insane and be suicidal doing it. And depression is sometimes them legs getting cut out from under you. Listen to me. You need to learn to listen to your body, to listen to your mind, to listen and begin to go home and shut up and disengage. You cannot see some things in your life because you won't step back. There are some things in all of our lives we are too close to. Mark uses the term nose blind. You can't see from a distance, but you can't see right here either. And you are too close to You are consumed by it because you're too close to it. And the only way to get some clarity is to step back and to see it. And Elijah has to rest. He has to sit down. He has to breathe. He has to take a step back. And for you to be able to step back and to rest, tell somebody, so you got to get away from it. Whatever it is, you got to get away from the season. You got to get away from the situation and the conflict. You got to put, listen to me, I'm about to just throw out some application if you want to know it. You got to get away from, you got to put some distance between the relationships that you have in your life that they drain you, that they cause you to consistently doubt yourself, that they are the ones that somehow entrench you in drama and conflict. You got to get away. If it's family, it, hey, I don't know. If it's your spouse, you may need to sleep in the other room for a couple months or a couple weeks but you got to see it you got to step back and it matters so much that you're able to step back and breathe and not be consumed you got to get away from the things that take 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 from your life that's consuming you Elijah had to get away Queen Jezebel was still trying to kill him but he couldn't make decisions reacting to Queen Jezebel he had to sit down You need to talk to your boss. 
and tell your boss, I cannot keep working like this. I will give you all I have for 40 hours a week for right now. I got to take care of myself, my family, or I'm going to lose it all and be paying child support and going home alone. You've got to get off social media. I don't know. I'm just throwing out applications. You've got to get off social media. You've got to learn that that unfollow button is there for a reason. And if necessary, you block them. You block them from your life and you from theirs. I don't know what it looks like. You need to stop social media stalking people who hurt you. That is not good for you. It does not help you. It entrenches you deeper and hurt and pain. And depression begins to define you instead of contribute to your growth. And you have no clarity because you won't stop and you won't rest. You need to stop watching CNN and Fox News. And I'm going to tell you over the next year, that's even more true. Stop. And don't come in here talking that nonsense to me either side because I will tell you, we don't talk about that here. We, Jesus is bigger. He's better. Keep, your, keep, your, keep it to yourself. If it don't involve building people, don't bring it in here. You got to get away from it. You need to get some counseling. You need to get up in the morning and you need to seek God. You need to stay up late at night if you got kids and, and, and mornings just are bad for you. Whatever it is, you got to begin to make space in your life. And sometimes that's laying down by a tree and just saying, I'm done. I can't. I can't. I recognize that I can't. And it's not the most popular move to make. Matter of fact, it's very unpopular and some people may not like you. Some people may hate you. They may slander you. They may rally troops around you. But I'm going to tell you, Queen Jezebel was still trying to kill Elijah. But I'm going to tell you, Elijah's mental health mattered more. He mattered more. Catalyst, you matter more. Your mental health matters more. And when you, go to a air, when you get on an airplane, what do they tell you? They said if the, if the oxygen is pulled from the cabin, you better put your mask on first. It is not heroic to put it on your kid, to put it on your spouse, to put it on the elderly person in front of you. They say if you don't put it, you will pass out and everybody dies. You're not good for anybody else. It's the same thing. If you don't slow down and rest, you're not good for anybody else. And you've been spending your life trying to survive, re real, react, and you wonder why you've aged 10 years faster. It ain't your genetics, it's your decisions. And God is saying, rest. And I promise the other two points don't take this long. I had to talk to myself on this one. It's the only move to make. And most of us, that's the move we need to make. We need to slow down. And depression doesn't have to define you. It can actually begin to develop you when you let it. When you let the principles of the kingdom and the scripture really begin to shape you. And to shape, shape you. Say rest. Say rest. If you will slow down, if you will be still, if you will take a beat, take a breath. Listen to me. God used, we're going to see it in a minute. When Elijah got up and went, God used one meal. One meal to satisfy and strengthen him for a 40-day 200 mile walk if you, will, if you will surrender this season, if you will surrender this situation, if you will be single young people or old people that you're tired of bad relationships listen to me, if you will just stop, if you will surrender the scars if you will surrender the insecurities if you will begin to just come to this altar every Sunday, man Diane I was so proud of you, you she's told me sometimes let's unlock the, unlock the door unlock the prayer room, I'm coming in there, I'm seeking God whatever you need to do to get away to seek his presence and to begin to surrender it, listen to me he will use one season he will use one year he will use whatever you give him and he will multiply it. Just like he did for Elijah, just like he did with the fishes and the loaves. It's not your job to multiply it, it's your job to surrender it. And that's what he does. He will restore your family. He will restore years that have been stolen. He will, I don't know what it'll look like. It may hurt like a mug for a while, but he will give you back more. Give and it'll be given unto you, pressed down, shaken together, running over. That ain't just talking about money. It's talking about anything and everything. It's a principle. And if you will begin to surrender it, those who wait upon the Lord shall find what? New strength. You got to rest. You got to rest. You got to rest. You got to rest. My 20s were hell. Hell. Had a lot more on me than most 20-year-olds. 
When I started my 20s, I, was, I literally remember looking at my dad's gun case, 12, at his 12 gates, and I, I was in Bible college. I was studying the Bible. I was going to be a pastor. I was going to change the world. And I was thinking about it. I was like, man, I just want this pain. I can't do this. I just want to be done. And I considered it over and over because I knew that 12 gauge would finish the job. That ain't no 22. And I remember, and, and guess what? My 20s didn't get any better. That was like, I remember my cousin Camp, who you see doing mixers sometimes. My cousin Camp came down from Georgia Tech just to spend my birthday with me on Thursday night because everybody was concerned for me. By 30, I was almost 30. I was getting married. I can tell you I'm still finding strength from the season that is my 20s. I discovered who I am and what God called me to be. I built a reference that some people think is a little bit like cliche. You know, people are like, oh, you really believe that? Yes, I do because I found it in my 20s. God will use whatever season you're in. But you have to surrender. And now that things have been going a lot better, they're not easy. But I don't. I, I cry. What I still cry going home because what I get to go home to. God, listen to me. And now it's like, now it's like I, it's still the same thing, man. You got to surrender it. Whatever it is, whatever it is, you got to surrender it. I'm telling you, He will multiply. He will do what He does. I am the person I am today, and I will continue to feed strength from the hardest decade of my life up to this point. My twenties. He will multiply. Say rest. rest. Say rise up. rise up. Rise up. God said, okay, Elijah, it's time to get up. It's time to get up. You've stayed here long enough. It's time to get to your feet. It's time to move. It's time to make a move. It's time to get yourself up. Because here's the thing. You can't make a move on the ground. You got to first get up. You got to first gather yourself. And, 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 and he says, Elijah, it's time to get up. It's time to move. I got something for you. Tell somebody right now, take your neighbor, just yell at them, say, get up. Get up. up. If it's your spouse, yell a little bit louder because it's less awkward, say, get up. up. If it's a stranger, if you're like me, just yell loud and make it awkward, say, get up. Get up. I get you're hurting. I get that life is a mess. I get that everything got messed up. I get that your world is crumbling. But there comes a time where you got to get up. You got to get up. You got to get up. And for some of you, you need to rest. For some of you, you need to get your tail up. Because depression is not a terminal illness and it's not the end. But you cannot beat it in the bed. You cannot beat it in default mode, stuck with a bad relationship that you continue to stay stuck in. Because, hey, you may have to have some years because you've been in it so long, you you feel like you're stuck in it. Tell somebody, say, get up. Get up. Hey, you got clinical depression. Hey, major manic depression disorder, PTSD, all those things. Look, hey, take care of yourself. Take your meds. Go to the therapist. Um, uh, know your limitations. Know your triggers. But tell somebody right now, say, get up. You got to live. The promise of God is the same for you as the person next to you with the diagnosis, whether they have it or not, whether they're trying to pretend like they don't have it because they got a lot of money or rich parents and they can put on a better show than you. I don't know. All I know is God's will at some point for all of us is to get up. Get up. You will not beat trauma Stuck in your shell, playing it safe. God says, Elijah, it's time to get up because if you stay under this tree, this is all your life's ever going to be. That divorce that happened years ago, that's all your life is ever going to be if you don't get up from it. There comes a time in your life it's great to sit out and take a, take an in and off if you've been through hell. By all means, I tell people all the time, maybe you need to sit for a season. We got staff that when they came to church, I was like, just sit and breathe for a season. Now they paid staff up in the smoke. You can take off an inning. You can't quit the game. Get up. Tell somebody, say get up. Say get up. Say with me. Say rise up. Rest. Rise up. Move forward. Move forward. Where Elijah goes after he gets up is he goes back to where he came from. He goes to Mount Horeb, which is known as, for any Bible readers, Mount Sinai. It's where his forefather, Moses, experienced the presence of God. A scholar, I, I, dusted, I, I whipped out my dusty commentaries this week, and some, but one scholar said there's perhaps no, to this day, no place on the entire earth that represents the manifested presence of God more than Mount Sinai. 
So before he moved forward, he went back. I didn't say he went back to when the trauma happened. He went back to the beginning. He went back to try to rediscover his purpose and rediscover and reconnect with his creator. See, sometimes you got to go back to before they left you, before life hit you. When you had the joy of the Lord and you were enthusiastic about the future. Before you buried that spouse. Before your kids grew up and you blame yourself for how they were. Because they weren't. you raised them perfectly and they still showed out and ended up broken. Because broken people just happen even if they didn't get a broken childhood. Whatever it is, you got to go back before. And see, Elijah went back before. Generations before, his forefather was on Mount Sinai. And so he goes back to possibly the same cleft rock, the same cave that Moses was, was, was um, encountered the presence of God. He goes back. And see, sometimes you just got to go back. You, got, you can't go back and stay stuck in the hurt. You got to go back before the hurt when you actually had hope in God. It's all in there. The scripture, it's in there if you'll let it speak. He went back. And God asked him a question in that very cave that was probably the cave that generations before that Moses was in. God asked Elijah a question. He said, why are you here? God knew the answer. He was there to find his purpose and to figure out where, how to go forward. He had been battling with depression now for a minute. It was like it was more than just two or three days. It was a couple months by this point. And he's like, and, and, and like he's like, I don't want to just, I want to keep going like I'm gonna kill myself. How I mean, like, how how do I move forward? He was trying to find some clarity and some purpose. I want to go forward, but I gotta go back first. I gotta figure out what this even looks like. He's in a place where he's still and God isolated him. This is an intervention. God says, why? And he gives this negative answer. He says, all the prophets are dead. By the way, we know in history they weren't dead. He was embellishing because he was pissed off and pessimistic. Like we get. Everybody sucks. The church, the young people, the whole world's falling apart. That's what he was doing. The prophets weren't all dead. He wasn't the only one left. He just felt like it because he was alone. And he says, Elijah says, Elijah says, no, there's no reason for me to do this. It's all hopeless and that stuff. And God says, Elijah, I want you to go out to the cave. I want you to go to the excuse me, I want you to go to the edge of the mountain. And a lot of times we preach this part of the story that I'm about to tell you, but we miss the most beautiful part that honestly just hit me this week. I've missed. I think we missed half of this. He goes out in that beautiful part of the story where God Moses, or, or excuse me, uh, Elijah encounters the presence of God, but before he encounters the presence of God, God shows him what his presence is not. This is very important. A wind storm comes along. The things that shake you and you can't control, they steer you. When things go sideways, things are just, they're, I mean, they're just pouring on you. They're controlling you. You can't control the wind. Remember in the storm? They couldn't even control the ship anymore. They were at the mercy of the wind. And the presence of God wasn't in the wind, in the storm. And the earthquake and the things that just shake you. Not just the things that shatter you and pour, the things that just shake you. They shake your entire plans up. And the earthquake, that's what it represents. And this big earthquake, and, and God's, it's, the Bible says his presence was not in the earthquake. And then, watch this, the fire, the fire, the things that threaten you and scare you, the things that could kill you. But a chapter before, God's presence was in the fire. Just hit me this week. The presence was in the fire because Elijah was used to God showing up in these displays of power. God had never really, what he was about to learn is God's not always in the big moments. The fire represented the presence of God when the prophets of Baal, he called fire down from heaven, but now there's this massive fire, and the Bible says the presence of God wasn't in the fire. Elijah was wanting this big moment for everything just to magically, this silver bullet, this perfect pill to make things better. He wanted a miracle like he hadn't let other people. He wanted a display of power. He wanted to fill it. The next thing is what the presence of God was. The Bible says a still, small voice, a gentle whisper. Not a big moment. 
for the first time in his entire life, God shows up in peace and quiet. And I'm like, oh, when you're up in the morning and you can't even think straight. When you're going to bed at night and you're a tired little, you're a tired mama. He was in that moment. And he encountered God, not in this display of power, like when the altars are filled, but when you, and your, your tears are crying, but when you have to leave and you're in the same place God knows. When tomorrow you feel worse than when you came in here, before you came in here. And the Bible says Elijah wrapped his head and he went back into the cave. Wrapping the head was a sign of humility, baby. He raised his hands and he walked back in the cave. And God asked him the same question. Why are you here? Elijah gave the same answer. He encountered the presence of God. In the charismatic and presence-driven church, we're a presence-driven church. We think the healing happens in the encounter. Sometimes maybe. Lazarus for sure it did. But not in this one. Not this time. He gave the same answer. Everybody hates me. It's not worth it. All the prophets are dead. The identical answer. No transformation. He experienced God's presence, but there was no change in transformation in that moment. God was done at that point trying to cater to him. He gave him direction. I'm sorry, Elijah, that you feel the way you do and you don't feel any better. It's time to move forward. He gives him directions and an assignment and a relationship that he needs to initiate. Because the healing doesn't happen in the cave. Sometimes it doesn't happen at all. Doesn't mean you don't keep coming to the altar. Doesn't mean you don't keep coming to the cave when you struggle. Doesn't mean you don't lay down at the tree. Doesn't mean you don't. But the healing didn't happen there. The healing happened for Elijah as he trusted God and did what he said. And even though he didn't feel like leaving the cave, he left the cave and began to step because God gave Elijah strength. The healing happened when Elijah used that strength. We, in American culture, and especially church culture, we believe that healing and breakthrough happens in the moment. Every now and then, sometimes, but most of the time. Actually, even after the moment, most of the healing and testimony in your life happens in the movement. It doesn't happen in the moment, it happens in the movement. What happened for Elijah, he had some, best, he had some of the best years ahead of him. He had some good, solid years of ministry ahead of him. He actually built a relationship, like God said, with a man named Elisha, who became his friend and ministry partner because he told God, I'm lonely, I feel alone. And God gave him a person. Elisha would become his successor. And Elisha, because of Elijah's influence, after he left the cave, it was after he did what God said, Elisha would do double the ministries and have double the quality of ministry because that's what legacy is. See, Elijah wasn't done yet, but he didn't get to feel that in the cave. He had to leave the cave next to Healing happens. Coming out of your hole and depression happens. Your depression developing you and not defining you and keeping you dysfunctional and keep your character defects illuminated for everybody to see. Listen, if they're going to hate you, let them hate you for healing, not seeking. And I'm going to tell you, it hates, it, 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 it happens in the movement. One day, one decision. Not, it doesn't happen one day. It doesn't happen in one day. It happens in the day to day. One decision, one day, one opportunity, one promise, one problem at a time. Jesus said, give us, he prayed, give us this day our daily bread. I'm not worried about eating tomorrow. I'm not worried about getting married tomorrow. I'm not worried about finding what I'm looking for tomorrow. I'm worried, I'm, I'm this day. Tell somebody, say this day. You got to move forward. You need some consistency in your life. You don't need to just get up because what happens is we rest and we get up, but we're not consistent. We take two step forwards and then we start running backwards. Two step forwards, running backwards. Two steps forward, running backwards. And here's the thing is, you need some, moving forward is consistent progress. It's consistency in your life. And you have to have a this day mind. You're going to screw up. You're going to mess up. You're going to disappoint people. I do it all the time. Trust me. I just do it a little bit more boldly now because that's my job. This day. That's how healing happens. This day. 
Elijah didn't feel it in that cave. We, we preached that like Elijah had this encounter that changed his whole life. No, it changed his life when he actually stepped out. It's what Brana said when he went out. It happens at lunch. It happens when you and your wife get in an argument. Church was great, but you throwing down. We've done that, haven't we, baby? We're throwing down before we even go to bed on Sunday. I'm like, well, this just ruined the entire church today. It was a wonderful Sunday until today. <laughs> this day, King David said, this is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Paul said that from a jail cell. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. you got to move forward. You better get up, get dressed, go on a date by your darn self this season. You get up. You do yourself up, girl. You do your, hey, go wear them J's. Oh, my gosh, since we got a bunch of leadership people wearing J's now, and they're giving me their J's because I ain't got the money to buy all that stuff. Go do your J's and go buy your darn self. Come to church by yourself. I don't care if your husband don't want to come with you. There ain't no shame. There's only honor in coming. If your wife don't come to church with you, by all means, the seat will be empty, but Jesus will be there. And if it's a stranger next to you, come to church. If your older kids won't come with you, come to church. Sometimes you got to do it by yourself to see the glory of God. You see what I have now. I came to church by myself for years. I preached services and, and had life change, and I went and got a ridiculous amount of Taco Bell and went home and napped it all day because that is where I was. It ain't anymore. I still fight the Taco Bell. Not really. That ain't as good. When you get, when you get a wife that can cook, you're like, Taco Bell's just like gut note. Four. Tell somebody say four. That's where healing happens. That's where depression will begin to define you. I don't know where you are. I don't know where you are. I don't know if you need to rest because you're aimless and all over the place and your mind's racing all the time and your anxiety, you've got the sense of control. I don't know if you need to rise up because you won't get out of bed. You won't, you won't get up and take a shot because you're not going to make any shots that you don't take. I don't know. Or if you need to begin to move forward because you get up and then you make dumb decisions and you sit back down. Mistakes happen in growth. What happened to Elijah happens when you're moving in the glory of God. You're going to have seasons that are really bad. I used to think all the problems in my 20s and in my life happened because I was in a bad season. No, no, no. It still happens. But you got to go forward. Tell somebody, say forward. I don't know what it is. I don't know, if you, I don't know what it is. You need consistency in your life. But what I know, this, I do know this. Depression doesn't have to define you. And so right now, while all my prayer team and leadership come to the front, we got to do business with them. Because you may have, you can't stay in the cave, but it starts in the cave. It starts at the altar. It starts when you wrap your head just like Elijah did, and he went back into the cave. He didn't run. And I know that there are some people, will you just stand to your feet right now? I know that there are some people, if you can. I know there's some people that you've been running from God. You've been running from healing. You may love Jesus, but you've been checking boxes for a minute now. And you've just been running. And I'm telling you, at some point, you've got to stop. So God put this on my heart like Friday. We haven't done this lately. There are some people right now that you need to surrender to your, your heart to Jesus. I don't do the whole salvation thing anymore. As, or excuse me, I don't do it much anymore because that's not a measurement for transformation. It's start. I'm not talking about saving you from hell. I'm talking about saving you from the hell you're in right now. And I read this psalm on Friday night and Saturday morning. And psalm says, the psalmist writes, you are my son. And today I've become your father. You are my daughter. You are my, you are, you are my daughter. And today I've become your father. And so there's some people, there's some mothers, some fathers, some men, some women, some youth, some, I mean, so some kids in here that today you need to make a decision. It's not coming back. You, you're not going to find, you're not coming back. You're actually ain't even, you've never come. I got some people that you know, and we're here to pray for you because it starts with a decision. Do not, it, hey, I don't think anybody's thinking anything about you, but even if they are, it does not matter. It does not matter. And we're here. And so I got some people right now, you know that you need to give your life to Jesus. You need to surrender it. You've been holding on. You've been let, you will not let go. You've been running. You've been running. You would not believe the people in my life that have been like seven years been saying, I'm coming to Catalyst, but really they're just running. They, if they watch online, online right now, I got some people you're watching from a distance. You are running. 
do not run to him. And so right now, there's some people in this place, whether you come or not, you know you need Jesus in your life. And I'm telling you, he is enough, and without him, he's not. And you don't have to keep beating your head against brick walls and, and repeating bad decisions and bad mistakes and the shame that it has left your life in shambles. You do not have to, it doesn't have to define you. It can develop you. So right now, that's somebody. There's somebody else here right now that you love Jesus. There's a lot of people, but you need the Holy Spirit in your life. You need the power of God in your life because Jesus ain't just somebody that wants to save you today and from one day. Jesus is somebody that wants to come and do life with you. Jesus said, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice, let me in. And he said, I'll come in. I'll partake with you. I'll have a meal with you. I'll be your friend. I'll dance with you. I'll do this life with you. The power and presence of God, the friend, the comforter that Jesus promised, you need power in your life to be the parent that you're struggling to be, to, to not kill your kids, whatever it is in your life. You need his presence and power. And if that's you, you need to come on to the altar. Don't wait till the music starts. Come now. We're here to pray for you. We're here to believe God with you. Some of you, you're battling major depression right now. You do not see light at the end of the tunnel. You feel like you are hurting and there is no future for you. You would put limitations on your life, the quality, the plans because of your own mess and because of whatever this season has brought you. And I want you to know, stop limiting God. It can develop, the, the, your limitations and the trauma of this season can develop you. It doesn't have to define you. And so right now, I just say, come. We're here to pray for you, to pray with you. We're about to do business. We're about to worship. We're just about to worship to a song, an old school song that Carrie had on her heart. And we're just about to worship. If you are scared to come to the altar, I don't think that's good. Go to your knees with your spouse. Go find a corner if you don't want anybody to look at you. Right now, let's do that cave moment. Let's seek him. Let's let him speak. You can get to stepping in a minute. I found God long before I opened a Bible. I was a young kid that couldn't read. And this is where his presence is found. I don't care how much you know. I don't care what you've done. I don't care what you haven't done. Jesus is here for you and he loves you. Let's do business. Let's sing. Let's worship.